We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to RotoViz Overtime on RotoViz Radio, brought to you by MyBookie. My name's Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Art. And I'm joined, as always, by my co host, Mr. Sean Siegel, who uh, you'll, <laughs> no doubt uh, your teams are already going and rolling with his zero RB advice all this offseason. I will mention here at the start of this show that I'm currently on vacation. I'm actually, rather than being over uh, in Ireland, I'm actually in the USA for a change. I'm in San Diego. So, uh, But the, the key is that I'm now in Ireland, I'm not in San Diego. Uh, because we're recording this two weeks prior to the start of the NFL season. It is the 28th of August, and we're going to have a fun show for you today as we kind of look ahead to what we think is going to happen in week one, talk a little bit about our offseason, and then towards the end of the show, we're going to make some of our uh, thoughts and predictions of what is actually already taking place in week one. So we'll see how it goes. I'm I'm really excited. It should be a lot of fun. So we'll start off, uh, as always, Sean, how are you doing this week? Awesome. I was doing great before, and now we have a special guest today. We have Davis on board, and if we've ever had a time traveler on the show who can get us perfectly set for what is going to happen after this week one, which, as you said, is in the future today, it is Davis. We had Ben Gretsch on a couple of weeks ago, and it went very well. In order to follow up on that, we felt we needed to have a person like this, a former Rotoviz 
favorite who is one of the most people in the fantasy football universe. Davis, how are you doing today? You know, Sean, I'm doing great. I, I could not be more excited to be prognosticating with you guys today. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting because we've already talked about today, two weeks in the future, two weeks in the past, week one, week two. Uh, so we'll see what happens. But again, a disclaimer, this is recorded 28th of August, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, that was Davis Maddock. Uh, and of course, you'll know from the Take Cast and Roto Experts. So uh, lots of good fun. And as Sean mentioned, one of the, the true OGs here uh, at RotoViz. So going to be a fun show. Just before we get into the rest of the show, I just want to let you know, as always, you can become a Rotoviz Patreon and gain exclusive access to the Rotoviz Radio Slack, where you can talk to guys like myself, Hassan, Dave, Cabin, and many more as we talk through some league-winning advice, get you set up as we continue here through the season to try and win those fantasy championships. There's lots of different sections in there and just a, a lot, a lot of fun to be involved in. Patreon sh- ships start at just $6 per month. Become a Rotoviz Radio Patreon today. Join our exclusive community community of listeners sign up at patreon.com forward slash rotoviz radio as always too you can get that 10 percent exclusive listeners only discount to a rotoviz nfl pass through the rotoviz nfl podcast homepage that's rotoviz.com forward slash podcast this gives you unlimited access to all of our tools and content and best of all it helps support the pod plus for a limited time only we are offering a two-year rotoviz radio nfl sub which includes a 10 percent discount and access to rotoviz radio patreon as well as part of that channel for the 2019 season that's right 10 percent discount off the two-year sub and unlimited access to the site and rotoviz radio slack throughout the season do not miss out once again that is rotoviz.com forward slash podcast so I just want to get into it now. We're going to talk a little bit about in-season strategy to start it off, and then we'll get into the very fun stuff towards the end of the show. But so far, um, obviously, week one is like the smallest data size that we can really have. You know, it's the first week of the season. We will have major overreactions. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about how to avoid those overreactions and maybe where sometimes we should be overreacting to try and get the biggest benefit off the information that we have after that w- week one. So I'm going to let you go first, uh, Davis. Um, obviously, week one one is the the one out of those 17 weeks that we're going to have for the fantasy football season but how, how much information should we take from week one obviously we've had the news coming through the preseason and then we hit week one should we be really diving all over what we see in week one and taking it as the what is happening going forward or should we be still taking you know 2018 into consideration when looking ahead to week two and into the rest of the season So I think it depends on the position that you're talking about and the offense that you're talking about. I think there are a lot of things that we'll be able to pick up, for example, from the Arizona Cardinals in week one. We'll be able to see, you know, how many snaps Christian Kirk plays. Is he rotating with Keyshawn Johnson and Demir Bird? Uh, How much is Larry Fitzgerald playing? Like, I think that is a great example of when, when the Cardinals come out there for that first game against the Lions, we are going to know what their base offensive plan is. And I think there are other situations, uh, you know, teams with more continuity the Chargers, the Patriots, where, um, you know, the offensive starters are so entrenched that they can do a little bit more vanilla things earlier in the season because they have so much continuity. The the biggest example, though, to, to overreact per se is with running back playing time. If there's a running back who plays way more in week one than we inspect, like Philip Lindsay last year, Matt Breida uh, last year as well, like those are two examples of guys who, you know, if there's any way to get a hold of them in your league, like Philip, if you had spent 100% of your fab on Philip Lindsay after week one last year, that would have been like a plus EV decision to make. 
Yeah, that would be a really, really smart one. And hindsight is a, a beautiful thing. And I, I think me and Sean even talked last year about like Sean was all aboard Philip Lindsay from the very start of last off season, and we went through it and went through it, and we just had that feeling all the way through that you know Royce Freeman was going to get the run, he was going to get the run. But once we got into week one, week two, we seen that it was uh, really flipped the script over. So, Sean, do you kind of agree there with uh, how to manage it in terms of what to think going into week one versus what we think coming out of a week one schedule? Definitely. And and as Davis pointed out, I mean, there are going to be certain players like you have a six or seven year veteran who has his big game for the season in week one. You are not necessarily going to go out and spend 70% of your budget or to even put him in your lineup the next week. And we know who those players are, but there are going to be a lot of situations in which we learn about the system. We learn about some of these young guys. We see, you know, how they play, the play speed of the NFL. I would like to suggest that as opposed to being a downer and saying that, you know, week one overreactions, you know, don't take this into consideration, don't overreact. Perhaps we don't overreact enough to week one. Davis, give me a a few more examples or weigh in on this idea of perhaps, you know, we should be more aggressive. We should be more optimistic about these guys after seeing these big week one performances. Yeah, no, I actually, I actually really agree with your point. I think a lot of the people who are saying um, you shouldn't overreact to week one are people who probably don't play in a lot of like high stakes formats where, uh, like, like league winning players very often, if they're going to come off the waiver at all, they're going to come off really early. I think a great example. Uh, there are even more. There are even more from last year, right? Uh, in Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, in the games that Ryan Fitzpatrick started last year, he was a quarterback one. That was a great example of something to overreact to. Um, on the converse for the Titans. Uh, if you had drafted Derrick Henry in the middle rounds last year, saw them lose in that pathetic game to the Dolphins, and you're you know you're in a league with trading, that would be a great example of saying, you know, this just isn't it. They, this is just not going to happen for Derrick Henry this year. I, I think there are loads of, I think there are probably way more examples of looking back in the past and seeing week one performances and being like, wow, that was very indicative of how the team was going to play for the rest of the year, as opposed to seeing week Week one and being like oh the, that playing time was a complete anomaly and it didn't repeat itself once yeah and you mentioned uh, last year ryan fitzpatrick i'm just after pulling up the game 48 48 40 against the saints with 417 yards and four touchdowns so uh that i i had forgot all about that davis so thanks for bringing for that one back up that was a, a fun game last season uh when we look at it as well that you mentioned there kind of sean i think uh, and davis kind of touched on it too i think it is a lot of the the age profile too of it as a rookie or second year player or the third year player and we're thinking they may break out and then they have that breakout game or if it's somebody who's maybe undrafted who really gets that play in time but I think a key area of it is is the running back position where it can be the best place to do that overreaction but when we talk about obviously that that budget allocation for um you know for the waiver wire and you're looking at how much to to put on that waiver wire allocation the first thing I guess I'm going to ask is not just about the week one waiver wire but when you talked about it you mentioned you know those first couple of weeks of the season is really where most of those players are going to jump out it's rare that you take somebody off the waiver wire after week 10 who's going to help win you the league it may happen but more often than not it'll be in those kind of first three or four weeks so What'll happen in the the Damian Williams case, right? So after two guys got hurt in front of him, but but yeah, in general, well, like at the beginning of the season, you're mo and you know those fab dollars go further because they contribute to your lineup more weeks. 
exactly exactly so that was the other one that i mentioned is like the overreactions if uh, sean mentioned a bit of veteran player but if a damian williams had had one of those games that he had in week 30 or say week 14 week 15 last year do you think he's a player if it was week one that we should have overreacted in week one let's say hypothetically and blow the budget on that or is it a case that he is uh you know he's that veteran after those years in the league sean that hasn't really hit the point how, how do you react to that if that theoretically happens to a, a veteran in week one like like his pro I'm not wanting to buy into these receivers who have a big week one, but yet we know that they're not a star receiver. We know they're not going to take that volume for the full season. We know they're going to be a difficult weekly play. So even if they end up having what looks like a decent total year end, they were not someone who helped you out with your roster management and your start set decisions through the season. It's a little bit different there with the running backs, especially with someone who has the speed. It's very different. I think you look at some of these veteran running backs. Have they ever been given a chance? Do they have NFL athleticism? Because that factors into then what they could potentially do, especially in an offense like the Chiefs. I mean, we haven't seen Kareem Hunt play outside the Chiefs offense yet. So he's one of those players where I think that skepticism is probably in order in terms of what he does and so i mean he's a difficult pick because you would have you know half of a season where you have to burn a roster spot davis in terms of the specific types of players that you would want after week one am i on the right track there are there certain guys who if they blow up in week one you're already thinking i have sort of an overpay trade in mind to go get them in certain leagues yeah, I have, a, I have a couple examples of that. The first is, I don't think we actually know exactly how the Rams are going to play in 2019 because there's a lot of talk of, oh, you know, they got shut down, whatever. But I actually think the more serious thing is that teams do need to have more looks than 11 personnel. So if they make a switch into more 12 personnel, which would mean Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett are more involved in the passing offense or the opposite and they play more 10 personnel, that would mean that Josh Reynolds would have more playing time. Those would both be examples of guys where I'm like, I buy this as a trend. These are good athletes and explosive offenses, I would really like to buy them. Uh, I think the same could be said about Kansas City. I think the same could be said about the Chargers. Uh, The Kansas City second tight end versus fourth wide receiver on a lot of plays is going to be undetermined. We don't even know who the third wide receiver for the Chargers is, but we know that the third wide receiver for the Chargers in fantasy football in the past has been a pretty viable role. Maybe not easy to start or sit, but it's certainly been important. Uh, Traquan Smith, I think, is a great example. Traquan Smith's ADP right now is in the 150s. He's a really athletic guy who is a third round pick who is maybe the second wide receiver for Drew Brees. I, I, I think with one good game, he would be maybe the most prime like overpay trade target for me. Yeah, and I think it's interesting for the listeners now. This is where we get into the the time zones and the the calculations of when things happen. But if you go back and listen to the show from three weeks ago, which me and Sean just recorded about twenty five minutes ago, uh, we talked about Sean's FFPC main event draft, and uh, he is Trey Quan Smith on that lineup. So I'm sure Sean, you can agree with that. And and based off what Davis was saying, that is a very very smart strategy. Seeing what those teams do in terms of on the field personnel, and then having those players and a big game from someone like Trey Quan Smith could really 
really skyrocket his value moving forward i think as well part of it is the the current roster construction that you would have does that come into it for you sean you know obviously we're talking a lot about zero rbs you're doing modified rb drafts taking that stud running back in the first round then taking the rest of the the wide receivers kind of as far down as we can get and stack that up does that then put more uh of your allocation of budget towards the running back position if it did happen early in the season because you're obviously going to have those five or six wide receivers who uh you aren't really going to need to to refill that position it does to an extent but i think that you want to add firepower in any way that you can and like davis was mentioning you don't necessarily want to wait because the sooner that you do it the more value you get from it during the course of the season Uh, last year christian kirk was cut sort of right before he was going to blow up in one of my uh, highest dollar leagues and i spent most of the budget the next week to make sure that i picked him up and that would have paid off very well if he hadn't then subsequently got hurt it was just to, to backtrack for a second this mention of traquan i thought was very interesting two of the guys that i am targeting and i think they're massively undervalued but at the same time could put up a zero in week one and then even be someone to release now the fact that they're so inexpensive means that really all of the it, it's it's all upside in terms of that if you cut them no big deal if you have them you still have them but traquan another one Nikhil harry if those guys put up zeros would you immediately be looking to move to other guys uh with your free agency one of the things that i see is that people can sometimes wait too long certainly people who are just sitting on injured players as opposed to even you know stashing a backup that's one of the biggest mistakes that i see the bottom half of your roster right the people you're not playing in the first month are some of the crucial most crucial moves you can make for the second half of the season what would you do with those guys if they put up zeros in week one so I think you have to ask yourself what the best case scenario is. If Dion Lewis puts up two zeros in a row and Derrick Henry seems fine, you know, I really like Dion Lewis. I really don't like Derrick Henry. But I think the the first of all, the total upside for Dion Lewis is not that high due to the offense he's in and the fact that Jeremy McNichols is emerging a little bit. So Dion Lewis probably doesn't have a workhorse season coming. So he would be someone I would cut. On the opposite side, someone like Malcolm Brown. I actually expect Malcolm Brown to probably put up zeros for the first couple weeks of the season. But when and if Todd Gurley starts getting load managed, gets hurt, I, I expect Malcolm Brown to be one of the best zero RB candidates in fantasy football. So Lewis would be an example of someone that I would be willing to let go of. Whereas Malcolm Brown is probably someone who, if he's on my roster, he's going to stay there for eight weeks, probably at minimum. Yeah, it's an interesting strategy. When we I mentioned it already, and we didn't get to the question about budget allocation, but in those early weeks, how how are you strategizing it? You mentioned you know about going after somebody like a Philip Lindsay in week one and just you know going all after it. Is there a strategy to to slowly use that budget to save that budget? How how do you make that decision? davis uh, after week one will you be advising the listeners who have currently watched week one uh, and are ready for week two to, to go and splash the cash this week so i think just as a general rule you should probably err on the side of spending the money rather than saving it and i'm i'm curious to see what sean has to think about this but just in general i would think that um you are just better off allocating that money when it has more ability to change the fortunes of your team in terms of turning it around and in, uh, in win losses and like in the FFPC, you know, just being able to make the playoffs and get some of your money back regardless or acquiring a difference making player like 
Philip Lindsay, who is just the, you know, the quintessential example for this until we get a new one from week one this year. And uh, also I would just be spending more of that money on running backs than wide receivers because breakout wide receivers are probably more likely to already be on your roster. And, you know, running back is a more fungible position. We, we just basically know that to be true. So it's more likely that breakout guys are sitting there on the waiver wire. I completely agree. And I think that the main thing that I would recommend in terms of sort of the more intricate tactics is simply to make sure you pay what you think you're going to need to pay to get someone who is going to completely alter your roster. For other players, bid bid one or bid, you know, if you have a thousand dollar budget like we do in, in most of the main events, then, you know, you bid 10, you bid 14, you bid something in that range. I think it was the fantasy douche who had an article out a long time ago that, you know, very, very insightful and something that I see all the time, which is the person who wins a player in the free agent bidding usually bids double what the next closest bid was. I don't think that's a problem if you're getting someone who's going to completely alter your roster. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I I see all these bids of, you know, 70, 80, you know, 110, again, within a thousand dollar budget. So just you know, adjust for whatever your budget size is, where the next bid is one, right? Or the next bid is three. And if you overbid by a hundred in that first week on someone who is like your last player, then you simply can't have it go nearly as far. You want to have a lot of $1 bids put in knowing that you're not sure about those last guys and continue to churn those last two spots, but churn it with without spending the money because at whatever point in time it comes during the season, you want to be able to bid and get the one guy who matters. Yeah. And I think that, that that's a very good point, but see, see when it comes to that, I think that most seasons, if not all seasons, by the time I get to kind of week seven, uh, that, that budget's all gone. Uh, do you, do you save some for a rainy day? I find when you have it early in the season and you make that decision to go for it, you're like you said, you're getting that value all season long. Uh, when you're left then and you're doing it in week seven, week eight, I find it's more of a desperation where you're really hunting for some piece that may come out and you might have the injuries on your roster. So I do think, you have a clearer mind earlier in the season too in, in terms of making that decision with a little bit less kind of uh, emotion involved in it yeah I, th- I think that that i think that's true what's the biggest number you bid davis um i mean in leagues where the waiver wire is really thin so uh you know very deep leagues so, so the scott actually i have a great example for you in the scott fishbowl last year uh the draft was a little bit you know the, the scott fishbowl is always done early so alfred morris had not signed with the san francisco 49ers yet as a result of the Jarek mckinnon injury i bid a hundred percent of my fab on alfred morris because i was pretty certain that was what it was going to take to get him i knew the odds of me getting another starting player on the waiver wire in that format were really low to begin with. And I, 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 even though he was not a starter for me all year, he contributed several starting scores to my roster. And I feel like, like I feel that that was not a bad decision, basically. It's interesting that you mentioned Morris because in 2012, when he was a rookie, I think I made the, my highest bid on him after the first week of 958 and did win him. He then went on to score 258 fantasy points. And so that was a perfect example right there of someone who actually did completely alter the roster right from the beginning. And having him in week one meant that you, or for week two, meant that you had those points all season long. 
And the next question I had on the sheet, uh, Sean, I think I'm going to get into it with you on this one right now. And I think that's probably possibly the answer already is when you react and maybe we call it overreacting to one week of the NFL season and, and put in all that fab budget. Is that the best outcome you've had from a, a waiver wire acquisition um, at that stage of the season? Or I guess in general and fantasy football. And you also mentioned it was 958. What made you go to that 958? Was it that you had other bids in on the other players that that used up the rest of the budget or how come you stopped at nine five eight? I, I felt like I needed a little bit of money there. I've I've been in plenty of situations. You mentioned, you know, how it moves throughout the season, where, you know, for the last you know, month of the season I have somewhere between five and eleven. And that has come anytime that I hear people talking about how, you know, quarterbacks are free, you can always have quarterbacks, you can always stream quarterbacks. I mean, that's that's obviously true, right? But I've had multiple times where the entire where I had a quarterback on a buy and the second quarterback was injured. So I was already rostering a couple of guys. It's not like even a pure streaming situation. But you have a guy get hurt, you have your guy on the buy, and then I had the entire rest of the quarterbacks blocked by the league, all being able to bid over the low number that I had there. Uh, Davis, have you ever had any situations where you could not field a starting lineup because of your your previous bidding uh, strategy? I'm I'm sure like if I if I was to go back and look at all of the years I've played fantasy football it would definitely like the answer would definitely be yes because as I mentioned I I am super aggressive with the bids I also get pretty aggressive with bidding on uh, like extremely good defensive matchups the week before so like you know if the Buffalo Bills are about to play some third string quarterback at home I will like often bid two dollars on that defense the week before and I like to get I like like if someone dropped you know Harrison Harrison Bucker, Will Lutz or whatever, I would I would drop a couple dollars because I do I really like to uh, win the special teams. It's, it's just like a it's just like a very small edge that I chase very hard in a lot of my leagues. So I, I bet I've had to field like invalid rosters or backup quarterbacks or whatever. Let's uh, let's hit Davis with this one. Me and Sean talked on the the previous podcast, so four weeks ago's podcast, and we're jumping back in time uh, about removing the kickers and defenses from uh, from our leagues. Is that something? Then are you an advocate to keep those there to gain that advantage uh, each season? No, no. Clearly they should be gone. <laughs> clearly they should be gone. Um, so like the draft best ball championship, you know, no kickers, no defenses. It's you know the draft best ball championship is just crack. You know, I could do I could do tw- <laughs> I could draft twenty of those teams a day, and I I would just be like I would be endlessly entertained. And part of it is because you don't have to sweat the kickers and defenses at all. And and actually, Sean, I'm very curious because this is kind of my first year like playing in the main event and everything. Has there ever been serious discussions about removing those positions from the FFPC? I think that they do the the player feedback and just introducing a little bit of the randomness, a little bit of luck. And then I think that some of the very intense players, so I think it appeals to the recreational player. And one of the great things about some of the these high dollar leagues is that you have people with all different backgrounds and, and people really having fun with it. And one of the things that I see is that oftentimes the people having fun are also the people who are winning. So I, that's definitely not to say that those recreational players cannot be competitive because sometimes they're fantastic. You look at some of the people who are more hardcore about it. And I do think I was wondering if maybe you would go with the other uh, answer there, because if you can get 
Well, I like it more in my casual leagues. Like, like so my home college league, the league that I've played in the most with my buddies from K-State, we have kickers and defenses. And I like that's one area where I just clearly crush them because I'm planning <laughs> three weeks ahead or whatever. So I, I would like to keep it there. But in these other big leagues, I'd rather be able to stash, you know, a, a ninth running back. I think you can do some of those those same things in in the high state formats with especially if you're looking ahead a week but but as you say i mean even with 20 roster spots you find very consistently that it, one of the the difficulties about making a drop and this is something you should take into consideration with your bid as well where if you're a little bit questionable about the guy you're going to drop you know move your bid way down because if you end up not getting it then you get to keep the guy who's currently on your roster but that's a great point i mean if we had 25 roster spots it would be even easier to hold all of these running backs on the depth chart who are our favorites and not playing in games yet yeah you could have you could have darwin thompson and daryl williams you could you could really stack deep down down as you go down through the rosters, but the one thing I find is I find is the people who maybe had a, a very close win on one or two occasions at some point four or five years ago <laughs> seem to hang on to wanting the kickers and those lineups. It's just something uh, since since the first time first season I would ever played is something that I've always looked to to see if it would move out. But uh, you mentioned your home league and my home league. It's something that uh, I every year there is literally no chance of it being being removed. I, I wish we could get it out of there, but uh, that's enough uh, kicker talk for. Uh, one show i think and um, when we look then we'll look a little bit about our, our off-season thoughts and uh who davis for you uh obviously there's a lot of drafting going on who who has been your favorite player to draft this season and you know to get on as many rosters as possible so i i have two answers for this i have one where you have to make it happen in the sense that they're expensive and they go you know in the top uh 75 picks or whatever and that answer is of course dj moore he is he is the fantasy football breakout candidate for 2019 and the cheap one is uh, a combination of justice hill or malcolm brown guys who go after pick 100 but those are my three highest owned players across all formats yeah i don't think you'll get any uh, any of us really arguing against the dj Moore pick uh, i'm really excited to see what he does this season and sean has been a, a big advocate of justice hill as well uh, sean uh, obviously we've talked in the podcast a lot about your your drafts this offseason but who has been uh, your favorite one and i'm just going to hit you with this sean as well it can't be a kansas city chief <laughs> Well, Calvin Ridley is, is the guy who would be my <laughs> version of DJ Moore, although DJ Moore is is neck and neck with that. And he's that's always the choice when you're late in the fourth round and you're wondering if he's going to make it back in the fifth round. Davis, we'll give this as your first time traveling opportunity. Uh, now that week one is actually over, what are DJ Moore and Justice Hill? What numbers did they just do? Um, DJ Moore had seven targets for... 84 yards and he either scored a touchdown or had an end zone target that was uh close to a touchdown i'm not i'm not going to confirm nor deny the touchdown but basically he didn't have an overwhelming volume game but he was super efficient and uh, he and cam newton both looked good yeah that was my next question i was gonna i was gonna ask i was gonna ask how cam cam's arm looked but you've mentioned that so how did justice hill do uh justice hill hopefully i'm actually hoping that justice hill does not play or or barely plays the first two weeks because i think a couple people in leagues even even high stakes leagues i think a couple people will get nervous about him and cut him or devalue him a little bit 
Uh, like really what would be great is if, if Gus Edwards somehow scores a short yardage touchdown in one of the first two weeks. Cause I don't, I don't need justice Hill on most of my rosters to start. So I would actually be better if Gus Edwards seems like he has a role those first two weeks. That's, that's actually what my fingers are crossed and I'm hoping for. I wonder, I wonder if Sean agrees with me. Well, I have a couple of, of spots where I am hoping to or considering playing him. And now that I've found out that he's not going to play in week one, um, I, I will put him on the bench <laughs> and wait for that. Really, really any outcome is good for him. If he smashes, I'm in a great spot. If he's not good, I can maybe acquire him in a few more leagues. Pick him up in those in those last leagues that you don't have him. That's good. Yeah, and the other part is, Sean, I'll just get your opinion on this. Obviously, if Justice Hill hasn't had much work uh, and Gus Edwards has scored a touchdown, how did Mark Ingram do in week one? Because I, I know I know he's, he's, he's always on the top of our charts. Well, I mean, he probably had, uh, you know, 35 carries for 46 yards, <laughs> but he got like the big first down and scored the game-winning touchdown. So, of course, he's going to need that workload again next week. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be another exciting watching along to uh, Mark Ingram. Uh, one of the players I, I've been drafting the most this offseason, I'm going to save him for later on when we make some predictions, but uh, I mentioned uh, a couple of times this offseason that I've really enjoyed drafting uh, Will Fuller. DJ Moore is one of the guys, that, so I can't pick him, but Will Fuller, uh, I'm expecting you know him fully back from the injury and another nice big week one for him to start things off with the, the Houston Texans. Uh, when we look then at uh, popular players that, are not on your rosters by design so i can't i can't say mark ingram's a popular player um but for me and sean i'm sure he's on zero percent of the rosters but who davis for you is a popular player or a, a player of a reasonable adp that just at no point this offseason were you ever going to draft him uh leonard fournette derrick henry devonta freeman are the, do those guys count as popular i don't i don't i don't know any of those guys i they, i'm they, i'm not they, interested they, they, they are NFL players who can be drafted in fantasy football. But uh, the one there, I'm just going to share a note uh, in one of our listener leagues. Um, the, the the clock really screwed me this year in the FFPC listener leagues. Uh, so you have, obviously, I'm in Ireland, and between uh, Eastern time and my time is a five-hour time difference. So a lot of the time I, I set my lineups or set my picks to, to go and uh, go into bed, say, 11 p.m., uh, wake up then, it's a six-hour clock, and I keep missing the clock by probably about 30 minutes. But I, I ended up with Derek Henry on one of my rosters this, oh, uh, this rest season. Rest in on, peace, Colm. Rest in peace, buddy. So that, that team is... Uh confirmed to be to be a non-starter but uh, when 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 you look at those guys i guess we can confirm that they are uh, nfl players so we can allow that answer david uh david sorry when when we look then sean who are the guys outside of those guys you cannot pick the same guys who, who are not uh, on any of your rosters well we talked about it a little bit and tyler lockett is someone who is not only a trendy player but is also someone rotaviz loves he is not on my rosters because he fits right in that area where i would prefer to have a dj Moore, for example uh in in fact have been trading him a little bit in dynasty because i think he's getting into that range where the ceiling is offset by you know he has a lot more that he can fall now than he can continue to gain based on the expectations people have from the season just to go back real quick davis the those are excellent picks obviously people should not be drafting those players Freeman, though, stands out to me as interesting. He is a very controversial player at Rotovic where a lot of people do like his opportunity. The point that you can't argue against somebody who has been the overall running back one from a pure talent standpoint. But now that we're multiple years removed from that, multiple injuries removed from that, and he still is a smaller guy who didn't test well athletically originally. Now, he proved on an NFL field that he has what it takes to be that NFL athlete. 
But now that we're removed from that, we're removed from that offensive coordinator, and you have to pay a lot, shouldn't we be taking some of these backups a little bit more seriously and or just be skeptical about where he now is? Oh man, I, I wish I wish I could sell some of this Edo Smith stock I have to somebody because Brian Hill <laughs> looks pretty good. But I, I I actually think I don't think this is true anymore. But for a good portion of the offseason, Edo Smith was actually my most owned player in best balls and uh you know and just in and all these leagues that I have going. Justice Hill has replaced him now, but I actually think Edo Smith still I, I had this article up on Roto Experts just kind of like looking at ADPs that don't make sense and uh, like really, and this is work you guys have done at Rotoviz too, looking at the gaps in running back committees and like which gaps don't make sense. The gap between Devonta Freeman and Edo Smith and ADP is like a hundred picks wider than the Devonta Freeman Tevin Coleman split was. But I don't think we have any evidence that Devonta Freeman is like at the same time. If that if the split was gone, you'd expect Freeman's ADP to move way up, and it hasn't. Out of those two guys, Sean, I'm going to let you go first. Edo uh, Smith or Devontae Freeman, who is the top scorer out of those in fantasy football at the end of the season? Well, I, I think that, that Freeman showed here in week one that he is not quite the same player and that the backups are there. Edo Smith with a couple of goal line touchdowns has paid off for Davis right away in, in the first week of the season here. It's, it's an excellent start. The other question, Davis, I guess I'm just going through some of the, the ADP at the moment. I see Melvin Gordon's name here. So did Melvin Gordon take to the field in week one for the Chargers? Uh, Melvin Gordon did not play, and he even released a statement saying that he is unwilling to take the field uh, until the absolute latest allowed by the current uh, uh, CBA in place. Okay, and I'm, I'm hoping that the Antonio Brown uh, situation has been well resolved prior to week one. So I'm going to say that that has already been, that's old news and his helmet has all been sorted. But Antonio Brown is somebody who, uh, mainly due to the switching offense, is somebody who hasn't ended up on any of my rosters this season. I'm just interested uh, to see, Davis, your thoughts on Antonio Brown and his, uh, I guess we'll call it interesting offseason as he went into week one and had a, a quite a good game with uh, four receptions for 85 yards uh, and no score but uh, was targeted 14 times by Derek Carr uh, what, what's your thoughts on Antonio Brown's offseason and is he somebody who made made the Davis Maddox rosters this season so he has made my rosters because people are so irrational like I don't, I didn't go into the off season thinking that I was going to be drafting Antonio Brown, and then you know we do this uh, Roto World uh, like friends and family league every year, and Antonio Brown was there for me in the third round. Uh, like uh, Antonio Brown in the third round, you ask yourself, okay, who would I rather own, Antonio Brown or Keenan Allen? Uh, Antonio Brown or Stephon Diggs? Antonio Brown or Adam Thielen? Antonio Brown is the correct selection. This we're we're talking about a guy who even if he's on the downslope of his athletic prime, which I think he certainly is. Last year was his worst year in yards per target since uh, 2012, I believe. But we're talking about a situation where he's going to be one of the most targeted wide receivers in the NFL. I actually don't think Derek Carr is a bad quarterback. Like, for example, his career YPA is uh, is extremely similar to Andrew Luck's, uh, you know, career YPA. And I, I think he, I think he's very capable of sustaining uh, a wide receiver one, particularly if that wide receiver one is comfortable getting targets in the short to intermediate areas in a way that Amari Cooper was not. And uh, the, the the news this offseason, I'm sure Matthew Friedman has been enjoying watching along with his uh, recent takes on on that situation with Antonio Brown. 
So before we continue, I just want to let you know as well about another one of our great supporters here, and that is MyBookie. MyBookie is the place to bet every single football weekend of the season, and of course, that's where we'll be placing our wager this weekend. MyBookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sportsbook, period. And this year, that selection just keeps growing and growing, so do get involved. Do not miss out on some of those prop actions and of course they also have that phenomenal sign up bonus just for our listeners up to one thousand dollars on your first deposit that will double your first deposit when you head on over use the promo code rotoviz that's right rotoviz as the promo code to activate the offer visit my bookie online today that that's my bookie and do not forget to use that promo code rotoviz bet when get paid hi this is scott trout ceo of the domestic litigation firm cordell and cordell There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. I'm Scott Trout. CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Now we're going to jump into a little bit of uh, uh, predictions. So I guess they're not predictions because they've already happened. So it's more of a, a realistic news segment. So we're going to look here at some uh, actual news headlines that happened uh, in, in the past kind of couple of days since week one. So the first one up, Davis, I'm going to let you take the floor first. You are the guest, of course. Uh, so what was the, the big takeaway for you from the week one of the NFL season. Uh, Lamar Jackson realizes, uh, you know, he just realizes all of what we said about him all offseason, runs for 100 plus yards and has three total touchdowns against Miami. And uh, everyone, everyone who drafted him uh, well throughout the, uh, the best ball season is patting themselves on the back right now. Uh, and see, in terms of combined touchdowns, how many of those were rushing and, and how did he fare through the air? I guess the, the listeners will be eager to know that. Let's say let's say one rushing touchdown and two passing touchdowns, one to Willie Sneed, which tilts everyone, and then one to Mark Andrews, which delights everyone. Yeah, and that'll be realistically we could we could see that happening, uh, but th- those hundred rushing yards will make those people uh, extremely happy, and I'm sure there's a few DFS winners there too with the the rushing yards that he's put in. Sean, up next, uh, who who has had the big week? What was the was there was there any surprising uh, scores in week one? Was there any upsets <laughs> in week one, or, or did you did you see somebody who just had a, a monster performance in week one? Well, the the Chiefs managed to allow Jacksonville to work out a lot of their offensive issues and for Nick Foles to get that team uh, going and looking like the Super Bowl contender and the Super Bowl quarterback that he is right away. It wasn't nearly enough, however. And with Darwin Thompson, we got to see what all the fuss is about. We got to see a situation here where even though his ADP seemed the victim of such irrational exuberance going down the stretch no way he could possibly pay off as he starts to climb into the seventh maybe even sixth round on the last couple of days there but he he swiftly 
erases any concern by only getting eight carries, but breaking away for 70 yards, a long touchdown. He caught four passes in the offense for another big burst, 60 yards, a second touchdown. And, uh, you know, he immediately has everyone forgetting about Kareem Hunt, who just looked like a plotter by comparison. So in terms of the, that backfield moving forward, do you expect it to be more of a split backfield or do you think he'll he'll just have more of a passing down role? No, I mean, both of those players are going to be uh, involved in all aspects of that offense. They're both going to catch a bunch of passes. They're both going to rush for a huge number of, of yards. The Chiefs are going to break every offensive touchdown or every offensive record that exists and go on to probably a 15-1 and one just to, to make sure that there isn't that extra pressure in the playoffs and then win the Super Bowl going away. And uh, Davis had mentioned the, the Ravens uh, and the Dolphins and how that game, uh, obviously it wasn't a good game script for Kenyon Drake, but he had a really disappointing performance with uh, 20 carries for 15 yards. So I don't think we'll be seeing as much of him uh, the rest of the way. The other big surprise was uh, Eli Manning had a monster game against the Giants and led them to a, a late comeback victory against the Cowboys uh, on Sunday night. So oh, I don't think that's going to happen. That, that, seems, that seems like very, very <laughs> unlikely. But, but this has already happened. It's the it's the news roundup from the, the week one games. But well, that, that I, I certainly hope that's not what happened. That, that realistically has, uh, I would say, close to uh, maybe a four percent chance of happening. So realistically, not going to happen. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what really does happen. My news and Sean kind of piggybacked onto it was that explosive uh, game between the Jaguars and the Chiefs. And the the Nick Foles did look good, but it was mainly down to the production between him and D.D. Westbrook. Uh, Westbrook with uh, the eight catches uh, for 100 yards and a touchdown against the Chiefs. So looks to be uh, going for his big breakout season here uh, as we move forward into 2018. But it was a very interesting uh, week off action. But uh, I'm going to let Sean take the floor now for a moment. Uh, we're going to look at some reactions to what could have happened in week one and what Davis's thoughts would have been if that did, did occur. Yeah, David. So it's, I think, easier perhaps to go through the scenarios when you haven't had the emotion of actually seeing the game, seeing the scores, you know, seeing these guys look either fantastic or terrible, seeing a team either run a huge number of plays or be three and out and only get a handful of possessions. So going through this, I'd like to know what should fantasy owners be doing how should they be playing the week one either waivers or the trade market if we get some of these particular events now you mentioned the cardinals in the intro if kyler murray throws for 375 yards and three scores and say rushes for another 75 what should we do with that is that something that he can continue to do and considering how little value there is in quarterbacks you know, is there anything that you can do in terms of going after him or what would the ramifications be for the rest of the offense? So there's little like quarterback scoring is on a bell curve like alls. It's just it's just that the 25th to 75th percentile are within three points of each other. But that doesn't mean that the 90th percentile or the 99th percentile can't help you win your league or win the main event or win the best ball championship or whatever it I, I am. I'm about as all in on Kyler Murray as someone could even be on Kyler Murray. I think. I think he has the ability to be better than Baker Mayfield, who already looked great, uh, you know, coming both coming out of Oklahoma. I think the air raid system has the ability to just really, really frustrate NFL defenses. Uh, if Kyler Murray throws for 375 yards and three scores and rushes that many in, in the first week, I would trade, you know, a lot to get him. 
Um, and I would be putting in waiver bids on Keyshawn Johnson. I would be putting waiver bids in on Michael Crabtree. I would be putting waiver bids in on Ricky Seals Jones. That's it. We haven't, we haven't talked about him at all, but if Ricky Seals Jones plays more snaps than Charles Clay or Max Williams in week one, he would be a guy who I would go, you know, 15, 20% of my fab dollars on. That makes perfect sense. And I, I, people talk about, you know, not drafting the quarterbacks and maybe you can't draft Patrick Mahomes where he is now. But as someone, and you know, you fall into these luck situations and you definitely want to take advantage of it when you do get lucky. As a Kansas City fan, I owned Patrick Mahomes in almost every league last year and it made a huge difference. So, you know, if you have Kyler Murray and he does that, then clearly you're going to want to have a player like that in your roster, on your roster, in your starting lineup if you have any opportunity. Let's move to the next one where Nick Chubb is an interesting player. He's been jumping really high in some of the most recent drafts and we could definitely see this one go either way, right? Where I have him. Totally. Uh, yeah, I no, I just, I think the range of outcomes for him were so wide because it's so much based on how do they choose to use him in the passing game? Yeah, so I have him as a do not draft in round two. Matt Jones has him as someone you could target as early as the fifth pick. Monty Fon has pointed out that, you know, we were hoping that maybe Alvin Kamara would drop down to four to us in our main event. And Monty was pointing out that, that Chubb has actually gone in the top three a couple of times. If he catches six passes in week one, is he suddenly a top three or even top two running back? I wouldn't put, well, okay, so I'm assuming that Zeke played in week one. So I still over him, I would have Kamara, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, David Johnson, Christian McCaffrey. But I, if he catches six passes, um, yeah, it's probably him and James Conner, right? And I think all of them would be considered uh, in that true top tier of running backs. How about in this new Vikings offense? Say Dalvin Cook carries 30 times or whatever number of relatively high uh, times. Goes for 198 yards. Is he someone who can jump up there? Or within that offense and the number of touches he would need to have, is he someone who would then be a sell-high candidate? Um, he would be a sell-high candidate to me because I don't know if they have the talent to win games like that all year long. And I think that uh, you know it, when you're relying more on carries – then on receptions, there's just more week-to-week variance in your outcome. So he would be a sell candidate to me if, if he did, in fact, have that performance in the first week. If T.Y. Hilton goes two catches on 11 targets, only does 15 yards or something in that range, he's dropped around already since the Luck retirement. Is he someone who you'd be selling off every single possible roster, including all of your dynasty rosters? Or would that actually be a great opportunity then to buy him to all those people who are involved in the fire sale? No, I think I think that T.Y. Hilton is quite good, and I think that T.Y. Hilton plays indoors, and I also think Joe Kobe Brissett is not a horrible NFL quarterback. So if uh, you know, in the event that T.Y. Hilton just has a complete nothing burger in his first game, I would be I would be interested in buying shares of him. Actually, particularly in dynasty leagues, I think that would be a great time to you know send send a, a twenty twenty second and just see what the other guy says. How about if Josh Jacobs becomes the complete engine for the Raiders offense, carries 23 times, crests 100 yards, has seven catches for 50 more yards? Is he very clearly then the real deal, someone who can be the bell cow and, and do something that he frankly didn't do at Alabama? Well, he already he, uh, in the in the preseason projections. I'm already assuming that is who he is. Particularly after the release of Doug Martin, I have him. I have him projected as a top ten running back in points per reception league. So I would be I would be unsurprised and quite pleased if Josh Jacobs has you know uh, 23 carries and and seven catches in that first week. 
How about moving to a, a tight end for a second here? We know that the Giants have basically nobody. You're already uh, on the record as saying the uh, Giants result that Colin mentioned happened in an alternate universe. Evan Ingram, if he goes out there and is targeted a week high 17 times, 15, 14, anywhere in that range, would you be sending Zach Ertz plus some kind of uh, late round throw in in order to get Ingram on your roster for this year? Um, well, I don't really like Zach Ertz, so I, I would probably, I would be kind of willing to do that anyway, but in, in, I would be, I would be surprised if that result happened for Ingram, because I think it's more likely that they just like inefficiently use Saquon Barkley a, a lot. But if that result does happen, I, I would think that would be a hard uh, signal trend up and not just like a, a mistake or, or uh, an anomaly for Evan Ingram. Give us one more big play that you expect to happen this first week. One more big play. I think that Hunter Henry will out-target Keenan Allen and Mike Williams in the Chargers first game and look like he belongs in like kind of that, you know, just that that kind of that Zach, that Zachers George Kittle range. I think it could. I think it could be an exciting year, but the the injury. We're just waiting to get back to that. But thankfully, uh, we haven't seen Antonio Gates signed yet by by the Chargers. From from all things considered, but uh, this this has been a lot of fun, Davis. As we've run through kind of our, I, I thought talking through the the waiver acquisition and things like that will be really good for people listening in, uh, in terms of the strategy that both yourself and Sean shared. And it's been a lot of fun, Davis. Uh, I want to thank you. We mentioned Sean mentioned earlier in the show. Ben was the first guest on the show. It's not something we're planning to do too often. In terms of having guest spots on but davis definitely brought 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 his game today and uh, davis has been hey, a lot of thanks fun so much for having show. me guys I, uh, I i really appreciate and uh, you know a big fan big fan of all the shows on rotoviz and of course uh, make sure you're following davis on twitter at davis matic that's m-a-t-t-e-k and then obviously the take cast i hope you're already listening into that and uh, find his work on roto experts uh, as always it's uh, it's fun bringing the show each and every week make sure you do enjoy this one and do uh, share it uh, on social media for example and uh, give us a give us a written there on itunes as well that's going to do it for today's edition of roto is overtime brought to you from the future and uh, hopefully you have enjoyed it hopefully week one was good to you and until we're back with another show my name Colin Kelly you can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland and of course my co-host is Mr. Sean Siegel uh, and you can follow him on Twitter at FF underscore contrarian and until we're back with another show have a good one thank you for listening to Overtime and Rotoviz Radio please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app you can contact us via email at rotovizradio at gmail.com follow us on Twitter at Rotoviz Radio and remember you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage rotoviz.com forward slash podcast There's ghosts haunting these woods, and they're headed straight for Roaring Camp Railroads. Is it a trick? No, it's Thomas and Percy's Halloween party. And with a bounce house, pumpkin patch, temporary tattoos and face painting, plus photos with Sir Top and Pat, it's certainly going to be a treat. So get down to Roaring Camp before all the fun disappears. Weekends October 12th through the 27th. 
This September at local area Subway restaurants, your meal purchase will help our neighbors in need. Purchase a sub drink and chips and help us donate 200,000 meals to local Feeding America food banks. Subway meal includes any sub salad or wrap with any drink and chips or two cookies. For every two meals purchased through September 30th, participating Subway restaurants will donate one meal up to 200,000 meals to San Francisco and East North South Bay Area food banks. One meal is the monetary equivalent of 10 cents. Meals secured by Feeding America on behalf of local member food banks. So pick up a great meal and make a difference in the community. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.